Welcome to Practice Freedom. What if you could hang out with owners and founders from all sorts of healthcare private practices, having rich conversations about their successes and their failures, and then take an insight or two to inspire your own growth? Each week on Practice Freedom, we take an in-depth look at how to get the most out of both the clinical side and the business side of the practice, get the most out of your people, and most of all, how to live the healthy life that you deserve. I'm Mark Henderson Leary. I'm a business coach and an entrepreneurial operating system implementer. I have a passion that everyone should feel in control of their life. And so what I do is I help you get control of your business. Part of how I do that is by letting you listen in on these conversations in order to make the biggest impact in your practice and ultimately live your best life. Let's get started. Ron is the founder and CEO of Beacon Clinics, which is a leader in allergy testing and treatment. So in the healthcare world in a big way. He's also an inventor. Uh, he's a podcast host of uh, Primary Care Cures, which is really focused on the edge of what it is to fix the healthcare's many broken pieces, which is there's plenty of broken pieces in the healthcare world. Yeah, he's chaired two angel networks in Austin and San Antonio. He's, he's, uh, he's raised money over and over again, and he's authored uh, a couple of books, one of which is called Healthcare is Fixed. But I'd like to welcome my friend, Ron Barshop, to talk about what's going on in the world. How are you, my friend? Fine, Mark. Nice to have you on the show. Thank you for inviting me. I got to tell you, um, I'm, normally I, I hit the ground running with a lot of enthusiasm and fun, and um, I had I had uh, Cameron Harold on a couple weeks ago, uh, and he was just sort of um, business as usual. Like we got to lead, we got to lead hard. There's an urgency, but you know, successful companies are successful companies. Then I had uh, Jeff Hoffman on uh, a few days ago. God, the guy's just fired up and pumped up with giving, giving back and all of the opportunities for generosity and how it can be hard and is a struggle, but it's all about humanity coming together. And I just left that uh, pumped up. Today, I, I'm not feeling as optimistic. I've, I've heard in the last couple of days, you know, some people are kind of hitting what I call the second wave of um, – of this, uh, well, I don't want to over-exaggerate. I mean, it's a crisis to a lot of people. It's a condition to some people. But, you know, we had 30 days of people really hitting hitting the ground running, uh, making the best of it. And I'm hearing some people who are running out of money in time. I heard what, one client uh, and friend uh, was denied for the PPP. And uh, I think that he feels like that's going to end it for him. So, I, you know, I don't want to be negative, but I want to be real. Um, what are you seeing, man? Well, there's, there's sort of two options right now. You can look ahead. I have on my show uh, last week a gentleman named Renee Weertz. Renee runs a super cool gravel bike company. Now, what a gravel bike is, it's between a road bike and a mountain bike. So it goes on these long dirt roads where you're not going to have any cars threatening you or your children. So if you live in Austin, you go drive out to Lando, Texas, you can go for hours on these gravel bikes, trails, which are basically dirt roads to farms. You know, they're, we've all driven on them. So um, he pivoted his plant. Um, he's now making masks and respirators and taking old diving masks and putting those into basically uh, COVID-friendly PPE. He's, um, he moved his plant all the way to Belgium. He has stopped production of bicycles for now because there's no interest in that. And he literally pivoted in three days, and they're about three and a half weeks ahead of us. So they're on the down curve. They're on the down cycle. And so... You can time travel a little ahead by calling a friend in Washington State. They've been peaked out since Mar March 26. Italy's been peaked out since about two weeks before that. So there is a downturn of this. There is a coming back of the economy. There is a 
um, there's oxygen above water if you're underwater right now. And the question is, is it at one inch above you, which is too much? Or is it one eighth of an inch, which is too much? Or is it just in, within reach? And so, uh, you know, we can forward project d- doom and gloom and cash running out, or we can project maybe that this is going to end. Our governor in Texas is going to get on the air sometime today and announce a reopening of the Texas economy. What that looks like is a whole other story, but, you know, for another question. But (laughs) the good news is that so you can the other option, so you can pivot and you can shift gears into another direction um, and recognize what is your real core business. Or the other is to just look at and say, you know, this is going to end. And there is there there are economies ahead of us in this cycle. and, And, you know, we're not too far behind those economies We're literally weeks, not months behind. So, um, and see, I, I take that as well. I, 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 there's a macro perspective. And when I have these macro conversations and I talk with multiple leadership teams or multiple companies in a, in a span of a couple of days, I get fired up about how aggressive people are retooling and working hard and making tough decisions. And I'm like, we got this. And then I kind of I switch hats to the micro level. Like I take every little thing personally because there are winners, survivors and losers like the like the three. And so when I hear like a story of a loser, man, like I like somebody who takes the bullet to the head, like, cause there is that there are people who just did not have a retooling option. It was just lights out. Uh, and so I guess I'm just t- putting on my hat for a moment to those people who are like, not as optimistic. Like the people who are like, this is all Pollyanna bullshit, but I do, I do agree that, to see that. And so you're seeing that, that when we, when we do reach out of our geography and we can see into the future, um, it, there is, the end in sight is real. Yeah, and I also got on the phone. I was in an Asian bridge forum for a brief time, and I talked to a guy in the Philippines when this first started. He's sitting in the back of his pool. His gorgeous <laughs> wife and his beautiful children are playing in the swimming pool behind him. He's got a Mai Tai in his hand. He's got some really cool uh, Ray-Bans on, and the guy is chilling professionally. Now, he has racetracks. There's not a lot of demand for racetracks in the Philippines today, but to chill professionally is not a bad move, right? I mean... He learned the art of relaxation, and he said, yeah, you guys are like in that early. I remember the early stage of that cycle, but, you know, six weeks ago. We're, we're way past that now, you know, and we're coming out of this thing. So, uh, you know, I, I, again, it's a time travel. You can go. I, I literally talked to a guy in Bellevue, Washington, just outside of Seattle, and there looks like their economy is going to be opening up very soon, too. So uh, it's, it's not a fun time to get turned down for a PPP loan. It happens to a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. And money actually has run out of that program. There's, it's going in stages and tranches, and it's, this first tranche has run out. So, uh, uh, but, I mean. so do you think we're going to have kind of a second punch in the face? I, I think life is going to be different. I can't imagine. Do you remember when you were sick in college because you drank too much and you're hugging the toilet and you can't imagine wanting to live for three more minutes? But if you can just hang in those three more minutes, you're going to be fine. And then, you know, you're having breakfast for eggs and bacon in the morning. You feel just great. And you forgot how bad you felt an hour and a half ago. And I think it's going to feel a little bit like that. I don't think it's going to be that dramatic where we're going to forget. I think, you know, if you look at what supports symphony, if you look at what supports synagogues and and churches, it's gray hair. And I don't think gray hair is going to turn out, you know, shoulder to shoulder at symphonies anymore or churches anymore, which would be heartbreaking because, the arts is really kind of a foundation of culture in America, and certainly religion is is a more important foundation of, of culture in America. So, and, and more than culture, it's the foundation. It's one of the bedrocks of what the country was founded on. So, I worry that church support and synagogue support is going to start falling off because people don't want to be around a lot of other people. And I hope that's not the case. I hope the faithful yeah. now, 
you know, sit four pews apart or three pews apart. Or, but, you know, but I can't imagine that the symphony will ever have, ever have a sellout. They're not going to have, you know, a Yitzhak Perlman sell out the whole place because that many people with gray hair don't want to be close to that many people with gray hair. It's too scary now. So I think there's some fun, fundamental foundational things that are going to change in uh, how we deliver arts and religion and any, any even, you know, young concerts. Why were people at spring break a week after we knew there was trouble still partying and having a great time? Because they felt invulnerable and they became super carriers. You know, many of those people are back into their community spreading it like ridiculous. But so I don't think you're going to have trouble seeing what, 1,500, 15,000, 150,000 in a stadium listening to music. But I don't think the gray hairs are going to be there. I don't think they're going to support that music. So. I don't know. There's a lot of, I mean, I, I, my mind goes to all those things. It, you know, our, because I remember stadium concerts where there's tens of thousands of people just on top, literally on top of each other. You know, like Rice Stadium, Monsters of Rock, you know, doing things like, and I'm like, is that like ever coming back? I, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe we, our immunity comes back and the herd immunity is strong and within three, four years we've all forgotten. I don't know. But I'm kind of curious from your perspective, uh, from the healthcare world, because uh, I have a, I've been wondering through this process. Uh, the, this, the healthcare lens colors this in a big way, uh, because they were, were the ones who felt it, I believe. And, and I'd love you to correct me on this. It seems like this was a healthcare problem before it was any other problem. It was we're out of PPE, we're 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 getting crushed at the at the emergency rooms, and we're running out of beds and ventilators in spots, and so that became the problem. And so the the rest of the of the, the reactions were colored through how do we take that pain away um first of all is that even is that resonate at all or yeah or? Our, we have a real fragile supply chain so when puerto rico got hit by that giant hurricane 95 percent of the iv bags in the world got cut off because they're all made in one little brick building in the middle of near san juan and so the world is scrambling now how do we get our iv bags we need these drips we've got to have the saline and the medications delivered and every, I mean, you forget how much rides on looks rides on a little plastic bag that with a little plastic straw and a little needle attached. That stuff is yeah. the sterility of that's super important. Well, we've now learned that we have a, about 156 critical medications that are coming out of China and India, and they've embargoed us back because they thought they're going to need stuff. There hasn't China claims they haven't had a single death, so they don't you know they don't need to keep hanging on the supplies. We don't believe that, but. Um, when we're getting so much of our pharma from these two nations, and then literally you can't have a flight that can cargo them over here, um, that is not tenable. So what they've done in Italy is now they're encouraging, with every kind of incentive, manufacturing on-site in cities. So 3D printing is going to become a huge, huge component of manufacturing, and it's going to almost make China obsolete. Like China has made our manufacturing, we think of in the heartland, obsolete, right? But 3D printing is going to bring it right back to the heartland and right back to the states and right back to the cities, and right back to local. And it's not far away. We just, it was people that had three and five year plans to 3D print are now talking about three and four, five month plans. So we can't rely on oceans to, you know, to be crossed to get things here again because we could have a second strain of this pandemic in two years, you know, see. So it's called C19 because there was there was not a C118 through one through 18. It's like I beat C1 through 18. <laughs> yeah. I made it to 19. That was 2019 is when they discovered this this strain. But so the the medication supply chain super fragile, the PPE supply chain super fragile. I talked to doctors today on a giant conference call. Some of the biggest and best practices still can't get basic supplies for gloves, for masks, for uh, the right equipment, and so. They're sending their employees into this front line every day. But 
What's happened in primary care, which is my world, is um, the big practices, what I call megas, that are 10-plus doctors, you still have to pay those salaries. Those guys are still making ten grand a month, fifteen grand a month, yet the volume is half. So imagine if your store, you have to pay every store executive, every store employee, but you just got half the people coming into your store. You're, you're dead. I mean, you are running in big-time red ink. And they were barely surviving when you know, it was full. So primary care, the talk right now is by the first week of June, 60% of all primary care practices will be shutting down. Um, and that includes system-owned practices, and that includes the 30% that are still independent. So that, just to, that sounds bad, like really bad to me. I mean, this, I mean the classically recession-proof industries, like that's it, right? And you're, and you're saying it's – how well, bad th- is So it? that is your pediatrician for your kids. That's your internist for your mother. That's your family doctor for yourself and your wife's your – her OB-GYN. That's primary care. And those people aren't allowed or shouldn't be seeing people, and only 20% of them had telehealth. Telehealth is, I, I have for all my employees telehealth, so every one of my employees can still get scripts. They can still get a rash looked at by a doctor over the screen. Um, they can get about probably 80% of the service that a doctor will provide with a telephone and a, app, and a secure app. Um, so telehealth is clearly the wave of the future, but only 1% of Americans were using it. There's a, I had on my show Gordon Chen. Chen Medical is a uh, probably 20-state primary care offering that's now expanding in Houston next year. Um, they deal with only Medicare patients. They got virtually 90% of the over 65s into a telehealth app in two days, and they wanted to know, do you have enough food? Do you have enough medicine? Do you have enough care? Do you have any questions? We want you healthy and happy, and, and each doctor only has 400 patients. Yeah. So that business model is doing very well because the government sends them what's called a capitated check, which is a fancy word for a set amount per employee, per patient, no matter how many come in. So you can have one come in or you can have a 1,000 come in, and you'll still make the same amount that day. That looks like that model is the new survivor, um, but it's only maybe 20% mm. of all primary care. So when I say 60% are closing, that's the fee for service. That's where you come in and you show your card. Fill out a clipboard, see your doctor. He bills for that service. He codes for that service. In fact, in that visit, the only caregiver you're seeing is a medical assistant that's cuffing you with a blood pressure cuff, weighing you and giving you a pulse ox on your pointer finger. And then the rest is all done. And behind the scenes of another 10 to 12 administrative types to just get that doctor his money. Well, that, that system is now dead. It's, it's, it's on the edge of the diving board. It's about to fall. The diving board's about to fall in the pool. It's on its last bolt. So that's I've, I've predicted a, a revolution in healthcare for a long time, pro, you know, for a lot of reasons, and I've expected an entrepreneurial um, threat to be the way the way that came about. Somebody was coming out with a better way, and the old way was very much like you described, insurance driven, non um, customer oriented. Like when I would go into, I would ask about. I was, it was a short time when I was completely out of pocket, and I and I was paying whatever the, pay, the price was, and so I would potentially negotiate it. I was shocked how often I would ask the price of a procedure, and no one could tell me. Like, that wasn't even, there's, it's not like normal capitalism in, in the past. They, they didn't think in those terms. They didn't, there was no market. It was just you get paid by the insurance company in this game that they do, and I'm like, this is not working. There's no competition. There, this is, uh, but I did not expect it to come like this. So it sounds like this is forcing that revolution right now. And I guess going into this, I thought, well, if 60% of the private practices or the family practices are going to be out of business, because that sounds like a bad economic hit, 
But now it's paired up with, well, I think we needed this revolution. Is this a good thing? So that's – is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? Is this both? It's, it's – right now for the short term, it's only bad. Here, here's who wins in this current weird scenario, this black swan event. The insurance companies think about it. Let's say 30 percent of Americans are laid off or furloughed. Let's just say 50 percent. They're still collecting 50 percent or 70 percent of the, of the premium they collected the day before this hit. So the insurance companies, there's five big ones. We call them the Bucas, Blue Cross United, Cigna, Aetna, uh, Humana. Those guys are still collecting 70% of what they collected the day before crisis. The day after crisis, they're not paying out. They're most expensive. A third of what they pay out is hospitals. Their hospitals are literally cutting 50% of their staff, 30% of their staff. I've seen 129 announcements. And they're furloughing for two weeks, four weeks till the end duration of this. You know, a big chunk of their staff because you can't go in for elective surgery. You can't go in for uh, chest pain. You know, you can't go in for the normal routine stuff. And the, the worst place everybody knows to go to catch COVID is a hospital. 20% of the people that check into a hospital are dying in my age category, your age category, and your wife's little sister's age category. So there's three categories where you have a one in five chance of not only catching it, but literally dying in the hospital. So last thing you want to do is go to a hospital. Uh, and, and so that's really hurting their volume as it, sh- you know, and as it should be. Now, the good news is, so the insurance companies are the winners. The good news is that they should be cutting staff, shaving back like we all are, thinking through you know, how to um, offer a slenderer delivery, a, a thinner delivery, and instead they're asking for a government bailout. They're literally going for the same Marshall Plan that the hospitals got. Now, the hospitals, some of them you can make the argument with some Boston hospitals with $2.9 million in Cayman accounts offshore. You could argue maybe they should okay. be uh, opting out of this Marshall Plan that they got for $150 billion. But now if the insurance companies have the nerve, those five guys have the nerve to ask for a bailout themselves when they're only taking cash in and they're paying so little out. I mean, it's it's just I feel I feel less helpless here in being able to help my family than I feel like as a taxpayer, why are they giving our money out to these um, these monopolies? And that and they are monopolies. So is it a good thing to lose primary care? Those doctors will always have job security at a hospital. But when we have, and we, right now, about 30% of all doctors are independent. Roughly the same number of surgeons are independent. And you have lower infection rates at independent surgery centers. You have better outcomes. They, they've done more procedures often. So generally, when you go with an independent physician, you have lower burnout. Do you want your physician that your wife to go see or your children to go see or you to go see to have a two-thirds chance of having burnout, being depressed while they're treating you? Because that's what's happening. That at, All over America, two out of three primary care docs, are, they're lost when they go to work. They they're, they're don't want to be at work. They don't love their job. They don't love their life because they're right, right now. But there, there's a small here's – the, here's the ray of hope. There's a group called direct primary care, virtual primary care. And direct primary care right now is about two or 3,000 docs out of five, half a million primary care docs. And they are seeing the patients directly for a membership fee, like a gym fee. And it's like belonging to a NetJet private jet membership. You get this really first-class care, and you don't have to pay a dime more for a large panoply of services, urgent care, chronic care. Just, you know, get your kids well-checked, get your wife, you know, get a women's well-checked. But you also get dermatology. You get um, there's a whole wide provision of services, and it's for 79 bucks a month for most of the clinics. There's 12 here in Houston. There's literally 1,200 across the country in every state but one. 
So those guys all are on telehealth and those gals, and they all um, their patients are all having access. They're not closing their doors. They, I mean, they can close their doors, but they're only seeing five or six patients a day. So the bright hope that we now know is direct primary care, and every senator in the in the Senate wants to o- open up more financing for them, like HSAs. You can't use for prim- direct primary care for some strange reason, but there's one senator and and his name's Weicker, and he thinks that it's for rich people. Direct primary care is actually employer paid mm. for blue-collar workers and white-collar workers. So it's it's totally democratic. But that is a ray of hope, as we now know that that has survived value-based care, where they're getting this capitated monthly amount no matter what. That's going to survive. But the vast majority of doctors out there is are fee-for-service, and they are looking at their bank account and just watching it melt away. Um, so uh, the hospitals are going to be fine. They've got their cushion. They've got their PPP plan, if you will. Um, the doctors have a hundred billion but it's being released too slowly to help them out um but we'll see what happens i you know careful with the mic there i think you're getting I'm some sorry. rattle yeah, from the mic anyway, we'll see what happens with all that that's um how quickly can the government release money they've seen they've done a very impressive job so far so they have done an impressive job so far yeah i'm impressed with how fast okay. the early appliers for the applicants for the ppp got their money we you and i know a bunch of people that got checks quickly i talked to a, um, yeah. a person yesterday and she replied too late and she missed out on this first round so she's gonna have to wait for round two so she's been denied that's a sad okay. letter yeah yeah I, th- I think that's kind of what happened uh to my friend mm-hmm. as well so yeah it's do you think well how much of this is short-term pain and and medium-term i mean how do you how do you see this playing out? if you're a patient six months, and you can't go months. see your doctor you feel well, so the good news is about Gallup polls are regularly rating firemen, doctors, and nurses at the top of the Gallup poll for 20 years, as most trusted. At the bottom are car salesmen and politicians where they belong. But if you're if you trusted your doctor before and now he says, I can't see you, even if you have chest pain, I can't even call you or text you, uh, and that's 80% of doctors, I mean, I don't, is that still, still going to be a trusted source of advice and wisdom? I hope that doesn't, because that's really the, the, that's the currency that doctors are trading on is trust. That's the currency you trade on as a coach. That's the train, currency I trade on as a CEO is do people trust me? Am I doing what I promise to do? And as I say, I'm going to do it. And again, that's where your EOS system is so wonderful because you learn to trust each other in teams when you're implementing on EOS. It's a little plug for you, but um, will the doctors, I think sure, they'll still thanks. have the trust. I think that will survive this and people will forget that their doctor wasn't ready technologically for them so what's the, the block now so if you, you're reaching out to your doctor you is it because the practice is just going to close the doors and turn off the phone lines that's what's going to happen there's going it's, it's it's happening now it's going to happen in the next you know 45 days i think texas reopening our economy selecting who is healthy and who's not that can go out um there's a technology technology component to who is uh, being tested and has got a clean bill of health uh, i don't know what you don't think there's a pinup demo? So imagine, so in two weeks, and I, I don't know what the plan is at all, but it's, if two weeks from now, you said 45 days, if it's two weeks from now, they say, you know what, you can go to the doctor. That doesn't just create a line at the door for them? It theoretically should. If you had an elective procedure and you want to go back, do you rush back or do you think that that, like a hospital, is a place where you can catch disease? Okay, because we know that the disease floats in the air for this many hours. We know it lands on plastic for that many hours on metal for this many hours do you worry just going out in public 
are you a, are you accustomed to and trained to stay in your home maybe a little bit longer just to wait this out? There is no, there's not going to be a siren. All clear, tornado's gone. You know, it's time to move back into normal life again. There's nothing like that. It's just going to slowly. F- well, I get that the siren isn't going to do that, but I'm not convinced that the people aren't going to do that. I mean, I'm, and I, I, I've been out there, and there are people who just who. who there's like all things, three three buckets. There's people who take it to the nth degree and they just don't trust anything for like weeks that it can contain the germs. There's people who are really just trying to look at the specific guidance and try to understand it. And there are people who are just following the surface level of instruction of like what you can and can't do. And they don't get it. And they're not they don't they don't understand about social distancing. They don't, and they're not they're just going to be the sheep. And and you can see these people down at the grocery store. You it, They're there. So I'm not sure if you say doctors. You and doctors, I don't think are. I would love your opinion on this. I'm not sure that doctors get it either. I feel like maybe doctors have been so used to their their habits for um, hygiene that they didn't really change much. That they know they're in contact with diseases all the time. And like the dermatologist I went to a few weeks ago, I didn't really get. They shut some things down, but I didn't get to really the sense that they were afraid. And I feel my hypothesis: if they say doctors, you're back to work, they're gonna. Most of the doctors are going to be back there, and that third category of people are going to be like, cool, I can get an appointment on Tuesday, and I'm going. That means it must be okay because the appointment's open. Well, we know your theory is correct because the medications haven't slowed down. People that need their meds aren't stopping their meds. People that are desperate for for, uh, some kind of a surgery, they're still getting their surgeries when they're necessary. So the elective stuff, the the older, the 45- or 55-year-old that may be at higher risk, are they going to go get go back and get their eyelids done when they don't worry, when they're not sure if that office is all clear? There is no there's no sign we can put on a, on a surgery center that says our infection rate is zero or one percent. Would be wouldn't that be nice to have a color code where you could drive by and say, oh that surgery center is a green and that one's a yellow and that one's a red. I want to go in the green because they're all clear. They haven't had any infections in the last X number of days or some acceptably low number under one percent. But if it's an 8%, maybe I don't want to go to that red one. Wouldn't that be nice to have some way to an app that tells us where are the infection rates the lowest? Well, in regular business world, which medical is not, uh, that becomes the burden of the entrepreneur. Like, that's how you win. Like, if you're one of the ten, 1 to 10% of the companies to say, like, you know, we got a way to prove that. We're putting a sign up. You know, like, this house did not flood. You know, there's a way to say that. And, and it, will healthcare respond well, that we, way? We actually know the infection think? rates. We're not having to guess, but it's not... It's deep dive data that's hard to pull out. And so, yeah, that would be a good a good RX solution. We now can go to GoodRx and get the lowest price prescription, theoretically. It would be nice if we could have mm-hmm. an app that's as popular as GoodRx that tells us where the lowest infection rates are. But why wouldn't the hospital do that? Why wouldn't, why wouldn't Memorial Hermann just say, like, we're going to publish that data and get your butts in here because we are awesome? The stories they're telling now are really shocking me. I, I, I came in. I got healthy. I left. So they had a lieutenant on the police. He, he walked out, and he's high-fiving all the nurses, and they're all applauding him. He was at death's door a few days ago. That's a great story because hospitals never told those stories before and, and showed you the face of the nurse that treated him. That's happening now. Those stories were just, we've got this doctor, we got that, you know, that we're killing cancer. We're, you know, they're talking about, like, constitutional revisions, and people want to know about on the ground, are you helping people? And so at least their story's changing, but... Your question was different. It was like, can they tell you we've got awesome uh, infection rates? Most hospitals don't have awesome yeah. infection rates. The hospital-acquired infections okay. and medical errors are the third leading cause of death in America. It happens in 
downstream. So the beauty of primary care is it's an upstream cost savings. In fact, the two largest primary care groups in America, both of the CEOs had amazing quotes in December just a few months ago. And Sir Andrew Whitty, who just left to start a COVID um, crisis team, he left Optum, which is owned by United Health, the biggest 800-pound gorilla. And he said that if you spend 5% on primary care upstream, you can save 95% of this headache downstream because most of those primary care doctors can head off at the past the chronic stuff that happens later. Meaning, think about it, if your kid goes to the ER because he's got an asthma emergency, he didn't have enough albuterol. The doctor didn't give the, find it cheap enough where you could get a one in the backpack, one in the nurse's station at school, one in the babysitter's backpack, one in the kitchen, one in the bedroom. You should, that kid should be inundated with albuterol, so there's never an asthma emergency. That's called a care plan, and you can have care plans for all kinds of kind of conditions, whether they're mental, hypertension, diabetes. Having enough medication is kind of step one of any care plan, and a lot of people run out, and that's a large percentage of ER visits. So, um, well, so this is this is the classic problem I see in all technical industries that the solution's complex, and that's real. People win in the market. Entrepreneurs win because they can put a sign up with between one and five words that solve the problem mentally for the consumer. So if you're saying, and and, and I and you're sharing a lot, and so uh, if I'm getting this wrong, I want you to correct me and get on this. But I'm hearing that we've got a potential fear problem. We've got a potential like real problem. Like if we're our infection rates in the hospitals in, in various parts of healthcare are not where they need to be, that, that might even be a latent problem. Like people, like we could have a second wave of, 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 of infections, but how does primary care can primary or any kind of he- healthcare segment say, Hey, we see the problem and we can put a, a sign up like, you know, come to us, like, you know, like the care plan thing. That's complicated. But how does primary care say you were going to go to the hospital before? Don't call me and we'll and we'll and we'll do something different. Is that is there an option for, yeah. for health care to rise I'm, up? I'm to working this? on a company now that I have pulled together four different CEOs from primary care, from radiology, from ancillaries and from artificial intelligence uh, apps. And so the four CEOs have come together and we formed uh, a company we call New Way Care. We'll be raising capital, so I can't really talk about that part of it, but I can tell you that what here's how this works. Is if you if you pair the best in benefits practices, which is you can share you can take your benefits cost down as a health care cost, thirty to forty to fifty percent. Today, like building a brick by brick plan that is the Mark Leary Inc. plan instead of a Buka plan. You can literally build it from the, the ground up, all the same pieces, so it looks, smells, and acts like a duck. And it's 30 to 40% because there's a lot of waste and administrative burden in the current system that's ridiculous. So you build a non-administrative bloat, that's so you get the best of benefits practices. You get the best of primary care practice, which is direct primary care. That's, again, this free monthly offering where nobody has a copay, nobody has a deductible, nobody has a premium. And all of my employees today can literally get their kid's pink eye handled by phone today. They can get their ear infection handled by phone today. Their husband's sleep apnea by phone today. Costs nothing. Okay, it's all handled. The script's sent out. It's handled. And the, and the, the cost per pharmacy is pennies per pill versus large dollars. And the third component is to have um, artificial intelligence with sensors at home. So we didn't know anything about whales and whales... When, they, when we put sensors on them, we learned that they have mating habits that are deep, deep, deep in the oceans. They feed down there. They rest down there. They could spend 
long periods of time. So what we thought we learned at SeaWorld, we knew actually by putting sensors on them, a whole different animal. And it's the same with sharks mm. and, and jellyfish and really, literally dozens of species. What we've not done in America is we do clinical trials at SeaWorld. So all the clinical trials are considering the clinic as the place where you're going to get a perfect test. The perfect test is in the wild because only 1% of the patients see one, are seen by 1% of the doctors at 1% of the time, meaning you're going to go in for one hour during a year typically or two hours during a year, and if you think of all the hours in the year, that's not even 1%. Meanwhile, you, you leave the doctor's office and you get bombarded by about 9,900 messages that are saying, go to Whataburger, you know, use your Xbox, watch The Tonight Show, binge on this Tiger, Tiger King show, and you start getting excited <laughs> about... Uh, basically, you know, doing nothing, inertia, eating crap, yeah. getting bad stuff. So the, the, the problem when you get into a, uh, a, a laboratory is it's not real. It's completely manufactured. When you get out into the wild and you give somebody a, a couple of sensors that they can wear and use in their bathroom, in their kitchen, you get a ton more information and you, know, you, learn, to, you learn how they can heal themselves. And part of the problem is, is clinicians... You have a limited supply of clinicians, a limited supply of hours you can get in front of a patient. But in, in the real world, you have unlimited time to follow this data exhaust that comes from these sensors and learn what's working for those people just like Mark Leary and those people that are just like Ron Barshop and those people that are just like your wife and my wife. So we can actually group data sets and find out what is the most efficient way to get good sleep hygiene, what is the most efficient way to get good hydration, what is the best way to walk and move, what is the best way to lose weight by what your what your nutrition nutrition looks like so the old model is go to a weight watchers meeting and get shamed and you know cheer for the people that lost a few pounds the new model is follow what mark leary did because he's lost seven pounds this week walking you know twelve thousand steps a day in memorial park and by the way he's got a walking group you know you might want to join at 6 a.m every morning it meets here at this church well how far away is that um if we get our funding 90 days okay Okay, so you're launching. How far away is getting enough data? I mean, getting well, these the, the company that we're the, the company that actually pulled this off. There's two companies in America that have actually reversed diabetes. One of them is called Verta Health, and they have a real cool keto app, a lot of coaching, a lot of dietitians. There's a whole uh, called a constellation around each patient. That is still the model where the expert tells you what to do. The model with Wellsmith, a group in Austin that was, supplied, was fun, funded by Cone Health out of North Carolina, took a different approach. They said, if we tell you in an app what you need to do next, what's the next thing that you need to do, Mark, you will do it. So think about it. You're driving in the green lane or you're driving in the yellow lane or you're driving in the red lane. That's what the app taught you to do based on the sensor data. 91% engagement with five, three different clinical trials. 30% diabetes reversal. To, to reverse diabetes, 1% is a big deal. To reverse it, one out of three people is a huge deal. To have 10% engagement is a giant thing. To have 91% engagement is unthinkable. So we're the CEO of that company, the founder of Wellsmith, is one of our four CEOs. We believe we've cracked the code on what it takes to bring health to America, and it has nothing to do with clinical trials. It has to do with trials in the wild. So that's interesting. It's, it's, I mean, it sounds, there's two things that come to mind. One is that that sounds very, 
futuristic sci-fi, but you're saying, you know, it's kind of here. And, and, and actually the way you painted the picture of, well, it's, it's, it's an app, you know, and, and we're going to, we're, we don't have to like track you for, for weeks to know what's going on. We can give you some instructions step by step. But the thing that I've always thought was so missing in general primary care was a feedback loop. It was always like, here's a prescription and go away. And that was the end of it. Like there was no, it was like, if you come back, then we'll try something different. If you never come back, I never found out how that went. What? <laughs> like, did it work? Did I give up? Did I go to another so doctor? So let me tell you two models that are working from my show. Chris Crow is a doctor that has over a million patients with his accountable care organization, value-based, so they're okay. But they're in Dallas, and they're North Texas and Oklahoma. And what they do is they send you a pill pack, and it's a AM, PM, blue set of pills you take and a yellow set you take in the morning, so a PM and an AM. And then you, you crack open the yellow AM. You shoot your barcode into your phone, sends it to Chris Crow's doc. The doc says, yep, Mark Leary took his meds for the morning. And then you take do the same thing at night. You shoot the picture at night. Yep, he's compliant. The adherence is typically about one out of six patients follow the med prescription as they're supposed to. In his universe, it's five times that because of that simple technological ease. They've taken the friction out of taking pills. People get these pills. They don't know, do I take these in the morning, in the evening? Do I take two? Do I take one? I forget. And most people that are on medications aren't on just one. They're on two or three or six or eight. So about 60% of Americans take a pill a day, and about 60% of them are taking two or more pills a day. It gets confusing, and it gets expensive. So if you take the friction out of it with our model, which is you know the prescriptions are no cost because the employer is paying for it in a typical employer-paid plan, if you take the cost out, uh, the, the friction out because you have a pill pack and an AM and a PM, and the doctor can see you're in the green zone with your medications, we now know we can get people compliant on their meds. We know they can be, and there's another model, Chin Med. They have pharmacies in their clinics, so they dispense the medications when you leave the clinic. Now, do they know if you took them or not, to your question? No. But in Texas, you can't have dispensaries because a lot of people are marking up the drugs and making big profits, and it wasn't fair to the patients. So... Um, you can't dispense in Texas at most clinics, uh, but so there are there are technology solutions out there that are making people more compliant with their medications that are really pretty simple when you think about it. It's just it, it's a it's a the patient becomes the quarterback. They're taking the drugs. The doctor becomes the coach. I saw you took them. At a boy, run that play again, and the cheerleaders are the MAs and the and the nursing staff and the mid levels who are calling the guy and saying, I see you're off for two days in a row. What's going on? Let's talk about this. And sometimes it's just, you know, I, I hurt my back and I am able to get downstairs to the kitchen. So this sounds amazing because what I see there is the ability to adapt. Like you're not compliant. Why? Well, I keep forgetting. Well, we can do something different. Um, you know, I can do the once a day instead of the once a, you know, the once a, we can do once a week instead of once a day. It's a different medication. It's not as impactful, but if you're at least if you're taking it, it'll work better than if you're not taking the one that works better at all. But, but that's great. Uh, what are people going to see? How I mean, right now we're we're going into a whole new situation. <laughs> the next sixty days is is what you're talking about. Dreaming for next year. Or no, it's all that, happening now. So, it's how, what, so I want. You, well, yes, it's. It's going to take some 30 time. days from now. What are people going to see? What should people be looking for? What questions should people Does be your, asking? Like, I need to get a great healthcare experience yeah. in the next 30 days. I what would, do they do? I mean, if I had simple advice, I would have them call a company called Redirect Health, who I use in Arizona. It's an amazing telehealth service. Um, they do their histories over the phone. My patient, my employees have been on it for two years. I was the first employer to use them. I would go to a, look up uh, DPC Frontiers, which is Direct Primary Care Frontiers, and find a good direct primary care doc. They're all on telehealth. 
There's a lot of virtual primary care companies like 98 point, the word point six. Um, there's Bowtie Medical. There's um, uh, Catalyst, uh, which .com. These are there's three virtual primary care companies that have been on my show, all of which, again, you can get a doctor to take care of you while you're waiting for this next phase of what's going to come. So I'm not saying leave your doctor, but I'm saying if your doctor looks like they're inaccessible, you can literally make a phone call today to redirect health and get for $49 a month, um, get on a plan quickly and immediately, and they'll do it. But this is not, HSA will not pay for that. HSA will today not pay for that. Okay. But 50 bucks. 50 bucks. No copays. You know, got access to a doc. No copays, no deductibles, no upcharges, no scary anything. And it's not now. My understanding about it is it's not trying to compete with concierge medicine. A lot of people equate it with concierge medicine. Draw the draw that well, out. So concierge is they take insurance and they take monthly memberships like direct primary care. So they're they literally have the worst of both worlds because while they're charting at night from their from their insurance patients that they're they're billing and coding for, they're also taking texts at night from their direct contract patients that have paid them a monthly membership. You've literally got the word. It's I call it a hybrid of hell. They're literally in the worst of both uh, universes because they don't get any peace at night anyway with the with the fee for service. Now, yes, they have more stability of income, but now they're getting texting at night. Uh, you know, my son's got a diaper rash. What do I do? You know, it's like really. You know, I, I've got these seven more charts I got to finish, and I didn't get to have dinner with my kids tonight. So it's. I don't. I don't know. I don't think the concierge is really a lovely solution for anybody. That there, there are companies like MDVIP that have had great success with it. That needed an army of attorneys to stay open because there's a lot of tricky laws in there. But MDVIP is, is saying, hey, just abandon fee for service and go straight your, to your 20 percent of your patients that can afford us, and just you know abandon the other 80 percent. That's problematic if you're part of the 80 percent. Now, where do you go? Where, you know, so they have 25 patients now. They can take 500. And that, that's a good... So concierge <clears throat> medicine tries to use some... It's basically one or a, one doctor or a small number of doctors trying to get high premium, high margin clients by being extraordinarily Just flexible. get in line first and I'll call you back when you call me. That's It's old-fashioned Marcus Welby for people that are that age. But yeah, it's house, house calls, calls and I'll return your calls and I'll see your texts and I'll, I'll look at your videos and I'll, I'll diagnose over the phone. That's what comes. But DPC <clears throat> seems to be like there is a, this. It can get confusing because I, when I worked with DPC for for a short while, I did have like one doctor. Like I had a doctor that was mine, and, and it did feel very personalized in that sense. But uh, and I th- and it was a it was a company you know, and it was a little smaller, earlier startup, so it was very um, entrepreneurial. And I knew like everybody in the mm-hmm. company, <laughs> and so um, it did it did kind of end up with like. I would be like, I, why are you responding at 11 p.m.? Like, I, 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 you can let me know about the prescription availability tomorrow, and, and she would say, well, you know, I just had some time. So it was kind of, it was kind of the worst of both worlds, and it was becoming concierge in that sense. But I guess direct primary care, when it works at scale, is doctors and physicians' assistants working a regular schedule available all the time. Work, but like, there's a team, so. The, the night team is the night team. The day team is the day team. And, and when they go home, they go home and they unplug and everybody's got a role. But you get it for 50 bucks a month. You get access to whatever you need. So and they're reducing costs through scale. They're reducing costs through proactivity and lack of bureaucracy. What, what else am I missing to, to take that picture? Well, clearly? so think about <clears throat> there's 16 steps. If I want to go see my doctor and fee for service or traditional medicine, 
I don't want to bore your listener, but just I've got to call the doctor. I've got to schedule the appointment. I've got to get in busy traffic. I've got to then go see the doctor. I've got to wait with people hacking and coughing around me, babies crying. I go see the doctor for 15 minutes. He's on his tapping way on his computer. You know, she's not able to really give me eye contact. And then I, she gives me a prescription. I then have to go give a copay, check out with a credit card. You know, I've already done the clipboard and the waiting. And then I've got to go back in my car, go to the dispensary, get the pharmacy prescription, go back home. That is, And then I get an EOB, an explanation of benefits, that is the massive, most confusing bill you'll ever get because it's not even a bill. It's an explanation of benefit that explains right. nothing. Uh, so they, uh, that's 16 steps. Direct primary care, I text. This is literally what I did yesterday. I text my doctor, scripts running low, handled, here's your code. I go to um, CVS, get it filled, I'm done. It's that simple. Now, CVS can mail them to me, so I can even skip that step. There's literally 14 steps cut out. How about that? So that's what's the difference between direct primary care and just good telling? I described direct primary care just now because I have a direct relationship with a doctor I pay a monthly fee for. Telemedicine, I have to do all those other drills, okay. and I can't avoid that. I st- they still got to bill me. They got to code me. Now, the, here's the problem is the billing for telemedicine, if you're a, a primary care doctor, replaces about 33% of what a face-to-face visit is. So now I've got to bring you in through all those 16 horrific steps to get paid as a doctor. I've got to make you go through friction. Um, it's the worst It's the worst of worlds because I can't get my kids fed if I don't get you to do that friction. That's not a good incentive, right? That's, that's called perverse incentives. So fee-for-service has been argued by Ivory Tower Ivy leaguers that it's it's dead and it has been dead for a long time and this crisis just proved it and I hate it because all my clients are fee for service so I'm my business model is relying on them um, so mm-hmm. my new business is not by the way but uh, I've watched these guys suffer and it's just heartbreaking to see my clients suffer but to talk to doctors all over the country on my show and they're all suffering except for direct primary care except for value based care those guys are doing just fine they're actually kind of happy right now. So how does like the sh- the and, and like again correct me because I'm I'm very much uh, novice at, at some of this stuff although I'm interested in it. What's the company that offers that overlay for telehealth? There's 50 of them. I mean, there's a lot of them. Yeah, but there's okay. It doesn't really matter, I guess. Then there's one I think that comes to mind. But how does that fit in? Because they seem to function very seamlessly on top. If you if you if you don't in the old days it'd be like if you need a prescription for your kid at 11 p.m. on a Friday night, don't. Don't go to the doctor. Just click here and get an appointment with with a uh, with a doctor. And in ten minutes later, you got a prescription or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so that's very frictionless. But it isn't. It's sitting on top of a of a traditional insurance um, and doctor situation. And I guess it was provided more commonly by the insurance company as a way to, I guess, avoid you going to the. the, the well, doctor everybody provides it, but there's only one percent utilization. It's not. It's not the yeah. most common way of doing business when you're. You're. We've been trained like seals to clap our fins together when the fish is coming. So, we don't know. There's a better, simpler way. My employees. I had three employees out of uh, all of my employees that weren't on this plan, so I didn't have 100 percent participation. I couldn't figure out why. Well, I have Medicaid. Oh, okay. Well, you know, Medicaid's great when you have babies. It's free. How about when you got pink eye? How's that work out for you? And they, well, like, God, I mean, time suck. There's a short answer to a long question. Okay, so how about that time suck? Do you want to skip not missing work? Do you want to skip not worrying about picking your kid up at 3 o'clock? Do you want to skip not making him a super carrier of pink eye and, or an ear infection and being around other kids? 
Do you want to skip that? Because you can actually call this number that I've taped onto your computer and avoid all of that now. So you, you, you're going to have to drop out of Medicaid. But if you're not planning on having more babies, that's a pretty good outcome, isn't it, to not have that to deal with? Um, to get pennies for a pill instead of you know five thousand dollar premium with with my old plan with Aetna, you don't you don't need you don't need anymore the burden of the old way. There's a new way coming. It's not going to come immediately. It's going to come slowly. But it's it's called direct contracting, where employers, which represent most of the employment of 140 million in America, they're self-insured, are going to directly contract with surgery radiology, imaging, they're going to direct contract with pharmacy, they're going to direct contract with specialists. And Walmart did that last year and they saved a billion dollars on a $4 billion health spend. That's called buried treasure in their health spend. That's literally 1,174 stores they didn't have to open the next year because they were able to equivocate that with bottom line EBITDA. So what exactly do they do? They direct contract with what they call centers of excellence. And by the way, they're not alone. Caterpillar did it. Dozens of Fortune 100s are doing it, and hundreds, if not thousands, of smaller companies are direct contracting. And they're, so they're saying, no more middlemen, no more administrative bloat. We don't really need Cigna anymore. We're going to now go direct and contract with our benefit advisor to get um, onboarded with direct relationships with everybody that we need to go see in this and, and rebuild basically an insurance product without the insurance middlemen. So does Walmart in that case become the concierge and can aggregate all those services and they marshal without, it? Yeah, without getting too complex in words that we don't care about, like TPA, they ba- they basically steer the patient into the correct place. So you can go get your radiology over here and pay extra for it, or you can go with us and we'll pay for it all. You can go with this um, okay. surgery center and you can pay for extra for it with your favorite hip surgeon, or we'll send you to one that actually has much better outcomes, lower infection rates, and we'll pay for it all. So they kind of become their own EPO. Well, they're 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 steering, they're navigators. So think of think of healthcare like okay. a giant healthcare maze of corn. It's like a cornfield maze, and you got a guy with a chainsaw chasing you, and he's going after your pocket. And he and there's millions of financial traps in that cornfield. That's what healthcare has become today. People don't know how to navigate it, but what Walmart has done is they've taken oh, all the navigation yeah. out. Hey, the guy with the saws back at that corner, the traps around here. Here's the path to get to the end and exit healthy and with your money intact. So is the is the biggest threat to getting this fixed insurance company interest? Um, the biggest threat is a bureaucratic system that requires requires sick care to survive. So why can't the insurance so companies? It's, it's the system we well, created. Yeah, it's, 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 we, bir- we birthed a giant. This kind of well, the e- EBITDA is much higher valued over uh, the over outcomes. It's really that simple. The there, there's just hundreds, if not thousands, of examples. Why can't the Bucas cut back 35% of their staff when they have 35% less premium? Because now they can't charge. uh, Their whole model is based on growing, not shrinking. So they can't even think about cutting staff. It's like unthinkable. Literally, hospitals are cutting back 25, 30, 50% of their staff in smaller areas. You'll never see an insurance company cut back. Well, why doesn't an insurance company just insert DPC or something like that and just cut out the, the, the rest of the, the in-person so who does, care? who does primary care threaten? If, if people are getting less diabetes, like they do with Will Smith, who's threatened by that? If, if there's less diabetics, you have less heads in beds. That's hospitals that lose. You have the renal treatment centers and kidney treatment centers if everybody is getting off of renal failure. If hypertension's going away, you have less people using the insurance product because they're spending less. The, the in- so you think the economic incentives are just scattered in the wrong yeah, direction in all yeah, You can call the insurance 
incentives are perverse. The hospital incentives are perverse. Um, the the actually the primary care for the presenters, incentives with fee for service have been perverse. Come in and do the 16 step Texas dance instead of one or two step for 85 percent of visits. You don't need to go into the doctor's office. But but mo most importantly, family practice is a great example. They can diagnose 97.5% of all the disease states in America, not the exotic you know, jungle fevers, but they can do most of what needs to be evaluated. So a good family doctor is the front line of defense to save all that money downstream. What do you want your family doctors to do if they're all independent? They're not going to refer to expensive hospitals. So think of care like this. You, you, Mark, and your lovely wife can go buy a Coke right now at a grocery store for how much? 25 cents for a can? 10 cents for a can? Oh, that was a dollar. I don't buy. Okay, coats. so I don't either. But <laughs> let's let's say twenty five cents a can. What would you pay at the corner store? Maybe double, maybe triple. Yeah. So what would you pay if you went to a white tablecloth restaurant? Maybe four or five times even three, more three. than that. Double. So maybe eight or ten times. And what would you pay at a movie theater for quasi coke that isn't even real coke? <laughs> maybe yeah. six bucks. Who knows? So you go from twenty five yeah. fifty cents to six bucks, ten bucks for for a drink. And it's not even a real exactly. drink. That's, what's, that's what healthcare in America is. Where you go for the place of service for your care is super important. And if your wife, instead of a psychotherapist, she's a psychotherapist or a psychiatrist? Uh, speech pathologist. A speech pathologist. Okay, so she's. S speech. No, I, my sister had a speech pathologist for a roommate. I kept saying, You're a speech pathologist? I know lots of speech <laughs> pathologists. That's the bad. Um, if, if your wife were a medical doctor that. Um, did family practice and your kids, your, your beautiful child you just had, wanted a Coke. She would not send them to the other three locations. She'd send them to the grocery store. And it's like that for all foods, like all drinks. You're not going to buy popcorn at the movie theater if you can sneak it in for one twentieth of the cost, right? I mean, I'm not advocating, you know, robbing from yeah, movie theaters, but yeah. I'm also saying, yeah. you know, come on. So healthcare is exactly the same thing. If you know the place of service, you're going to go for the cheapest. Well, if you work for the system and you're a doctor that now works, for that hospital, which 70% now work for big systems or private equity groups, you're going to refer to the most expensive place because you're getting tapped on the shoulder if you don't. So that's why independent physicians that are just cratering right now are so critical because not only lower infection rates, lower uh, burnout rates, better, less medical errors, but they're not referring into the Coca-Cola that's at the movie theater. They're referring to the Coca-Cola at the HEB. So that's interesting. So one of my clients is one of the largest uh, independent optometrist franchises in the world. And their whole foundation of what drives them is that they believe that the very best eye care comes from independent optometrists. And that, that's, that's their belief. They come from that background. And it sounds very similar here. You're saying that if we could put indiv individual, independent healthcare workers out there, that that is the best it's not healthcare. so there's data and there's opinion you know you and i have clearings in our in our eo process and when you have a clearing the data is this which 12 independent jurors could all agree to this my opinion however the story i make up is this and that's that's the coloration that we see of that of that data the data is independent physicians whether they're optometrists or schmoptometrists all have lower cost because systems get to charge 2x 4x, 8x, 10x. They literally get to code at a double, quadruple, or eight times higher rate. And and I'll call it infinity x because sometimes you can have a surprise bill and I, you, the anesthesiologist wasn't in network and now he's infinity. 
So medical bankruptcy is by far the largest. We're not there. Uh, how many people have, have, have an EOB? They're like, you know, that person never actually even showed up. Well, how are you billing me that? So it literally yeah, is infinite. A margin. It was kind of on the front so lines of what happened. we were talking about in the news until this came. And now we're talking about the system. You know, the pier is falling into the ocean. So what's, what happens with independence, they, they can't, they literally can't upcharge to that level. They can't, by, by law, charge through 48X. Well, you don't care. Your, your insurance company is paying the premium. Your health, your employer is paying the premium. They don't fight it because they, they don't know that place of services actually matters, that the restaurant is different from the grocery store. They don't actually have a, a view into that. And some of the urgent care centers that are owned by hospitals that can charge double with an urgent care, the center that's owned independently, um, there's no designation on the sign that says this is a pricey urgent care versus a wholesale urgent care. There's literally nothing for the consumer to know that. That's why I like having a doctor in your pocket. I call this the virtual care model or the direct primary care model. That doctor's in your pocket. You pull out your cell phone. I need to get an x-ray. You know, the hospital says I should get it right here, right now. Well, if it's a sprain, it can wait till tomorrow. There's 10 locations within five miles of you that are like one-tenth the cost. Hold off on that x-ray. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I've had the, I think the, the curtain came down on health care for me uh, and, and why I think that's so important. I, like probably a lot of people, had you talk about trusted – you started this. The tr- most, most trusted professions in the, in the country, possibly in the world, are doctors. The white coat meant everything. And if I show up and it's a Dr. Smith, Dr. whatever, that means that what's about to come out of your mouth is um, sacred and true and scientifically uh, validated implicitly. Uh, I have had a lot more exposure with some very specific conditions that have – caused me to have to ask harder questions and become more educated on the situation and what i found out is that doctors you know what they turn out to be human beings <laughs> i didn't know that and it's uh, and it's really scared me because there is this all of this system that we're describing is and and that presumption of um preeminence and knowledge has created an insulation and there's a lot of stuff you need to know, and you need to be able to ask questions, and it's not easy. It, I mean, even me knowing urgently, I get to a situation and a doctor gives me an opinion. It's not like that easy for me to challenge it and get multiple perspectives and be able to ask better and better questions in a situation that really matters to me. And if you can get that doctor in your pocket that you do trust, that you have a, a more transparent relationship with, which I guess is not implicit, you can be empower, empowered to do that. So I, I, I'm – you know. I guess my question ends up being, how do you get that transparency? Is that do, enough? Do you know um, why the CSI shows are so popular, the crime scene investigation shows? They start out with one, and then there's multiple shows now. And yeah. you know why that – I mean, why it's such a big franchise? Because we like to sit there and figure out who done it. What happened here? What is going on with this crime scene? And that's exactly what a doctor does with every interesting case that walks in the door. So my son is a gastro and fellowship his first year. And a GI doctor has, has pretty much boring rooting and plumbing jobs to do. But the, what, there's one case out of 20 that are super interesting. So my opening question with him is always, hey, what was your cool case this week? And he's always got something super interesting, and they had to CSI the problem. you know. And that's what they're doing. They're crime scene investigating that human body with just super with 120 different tissues and systems. And you got to know a little bit about everything, and you got to figure it out. you know. And so we now have 120 specialists that that doctor might refer to. Well... My English teacher, 
we were doing a gratitude exercise at, at dinner a couple of weeks ago. Who would you call right now if you wanted to tell somebody how much you loved them, how much they meant to you? You haven't talked to in decades. Call my English teacher. Hey, John, every time I write, you know, I wrote a book called Healthcare is Fixed. Every time I write in the morning when I'm blogging on LinkedIn or every time I'm writing to prepare for, I'm having Mark Leary on my show and I'm writing a, a, a prep for that show and an introduction. Every time I write, I think of you, John Trimble, because I want to tighten and brighten. And I think about how much I love that class and how much I enjoyed getting to know you. And he said, I said, how you doing, John? I haven't talked to you in 40 years. He goes, I'm not well, Ron. He goes, I'm 79. And he started giving me this condition. And I go, God, you're like the bundle of energy. I can't imagine you're not a bright, shining comet. He goes, well, here's what's going on. And I said, you know, I don't, I'm not a doctor, but I have a functional medicine doctor I'd like to introduce you to. And I'm going to have this guy call you tomorrow morning. But here's what I think you have based on what I know as an amateur CSI. That, you know, I'm not a doctor, but I just play one on podcasts. I would like you to to have this doctor ask you about adrenal failure and adrenal fatigue. I think you have adrenal, you have classic, Google it right now, you have classic adrenal fatigue. He looks it up, he goes, yep, 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 wow. And he goes, what do I do for this? I said, you talk to the doctor, because I'm not a doctor, and then you go get this whole food supplement, and here's the brand that I would recommend based on what worked for my friend and his daughter who had it, who's a champion bicyclist. He, he texted me like every day this week, Ron, I'm getting better. Oh, my God, you know, magic. I went to four doctors in Colorado Springs. None of them could figure this thing out. I didn't test positive for any of the traditional adrenal fatigue symptoms. But you CSI'd me better than the CSI site CSI'd me. Well, that, okay, so this is my <laughs> ego being proud of something I did. I haven't done anything like that in 40 years, by the way. But <laughs> no, but it's fun to see us. I think that's my point. A great yeah. doctor is that has time, like direct primary care, who's only six patients a day, has time to do the research in the CSI. And they're not going on Google to figure it out. They're going into medical sources to get the data of what this symptom, symptomology or this, we'll call it this, uh, recipe for disaster is, is adding up to. Because sometimes... Well, so you, say, you said that CSI thing, like they're all that way. And I'm like, bullshit. Like, I don't know how many there are. But it's not all of them. Is it 50%? Is it 80%? Is it 20%? And are you saying the DPC creates a much higher propensity to create it, those? It creates frictionless movement for the doctor. Think about the doctor that has to see 25 a day. Take that into eight hours. They're not getting to urinate very frequently. And if so, they're not getting to drink a lot of water. And if so, they're not getting to take any breaks to talk to their wife. And if so, they're not getting to check in with their girlfriend on the side. And if so, they're not getting a chance to check on their kid's school performance. I mean, <laughs> okay. they literally have no life. Their life has been condensed to typing into a computer and looking as possible as they can over their left shoulder during an exam. They don't have the intense of the freedom they got, to, they got to, driven by volume. They're driven by volume. The, have, the, the, most, the most important position in that office is the yeah, schedule. Yeah, they're not a CSI. Right? It's not, it's not they're the, the front desk yeah. at the CSI answering telephones. That's what they've become as secretary. Yeah. So administrative people. That That is not fair for somebody with $250,000 in debt. They went to work for three years in a residency to earn less than the janitor earns at that hospital for the privilege of helping us CSI our health and, to, and the most intense moments of our life. They're, these people are so dedicated and they're so excited about their profession until they get in and become these clerks. And so I, I'm not blaming the doctor. I'm blaming the whole billing and coding system that's really extraneous now that we have direct contracting is the problem. And once we get the administrative out of the way, which is going to take many years, and once um, these insurance companies get into the, another 45% increase that they're expecting this year, oh, my gosh. I can't imagine young, healthy people are going to want to stay with insurance if 
They go from 5,000 to 7,000. 5,000 is already straining their budgets. Now they're going to go another 2,000 that they don't have? No. I, I see a lot of young, healthy people dropping out of their insurance company plan and finding these virtual models and these direct models uh, and becoming a customer outside of their company insurance. That's what I see happening. And I, I don't see that that's good for insurance companies because in Australia, that's exactly what happened. And when the young, healthies leave, then the next less healthy population drops out. And then it's like onion skin. It just starts peeling off by healthy layer by healthy layer. And what's left behind is the unhealthy, sick, older people. And that's called a death spiral. So we've seen eagles, you know, they grab claws and then they fall into, you know, while they're making love into the ground. But they separate right before they hit the ground. That's a death spiral. Insurance companies in Australia are in a death spiral because they overplayed their hand. And I'm afraid American insurance companies are about to overplay their hand this year. So, okay, so insurance fits into the model, but it is not the model uh, in in terms of. You had probably a different way to describe this. I thought of this as there's three layers of healthcare: your primary care, which is who you call when you don't know, like the first call. It's always the first call. Then you've got specialists, which are like, oh, it's something serious, and you need somebody who can do that kind of work. And then you've got catastrophic, which is like the money part of this conversation that is like, oh, it's cancer or it's major surgery. And the catastrophic is basically an insurance domain that I've not seen anybody get out of. The first two are plausibly affordable out of pocket, plausibly, and it's a debate, right? So the the specialty care can get expensive, but no one sort of asserts that like, yeah, I'm happy to pay for cancer treatment. Like that's not what most people think of. How does that, how do you tease that out? Because you can, you can, for 50 bucks a month, you can, somebody who's well-to-do or middle-class, you know, 50 bucks a month, no problem. I'm not changing anything. But that insurance question is a whole other question. How are you addressing that question? Well, there's two game plans. If you're not self-insured, if you're a small company like me, you hire a company out of Austin called Sidera. Sidera is a sharing plan like Liberty, 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 you hear those ads? They're a sharing plan, cost-sharing plan, and all the members say, you know what, Mark needs a hip replacement. We're all going to pay for that hip replacement because it's way catastrophic for what he can afford. So there's that. Sidera has a sharing model where, the again, the younger, healthier, taking care of those that need something immediately. And some of them are faith-based and some of them are not. But Sidera... Now, but isn't that program, it's the the health share program, they were grandfathered in, as, as I understand it, correct me again, it, when Obamacare was coming into play, they just sort of closed the door. If you were pre-existing, you can stay. So there was a small number of captive health shares out there. Is that scalable into the future? And, and are the laws changing? Or how Austin's does that work? Austin's the fastest-growing company, country, fastest-growing city, and the fastest-growing state. And the fastest-growing company in that fastest-growing city is called Sidera Health. So I'll argue that they're doing just... Now, can you have more Sidera Health to health share? Can, can you create one um, today? You, or they, it- they did after. So, yes, the, the answer is yes. They, they morphed into something okay. else. But, um, okay. So the other thing is if you're self-insured and you have, let's say, 200, 500, 1,000 employees... You'll hire a company like Berkshire Hathaway, and you'll say, you know what? I want to risk up to a million dollars of my of my healthcare expenses that I'm willing to pay, but anything over that penny over a million, I want to stop loss coverage. I want to stop the, the pain, and I want you to pay up the loss above a million. So they can do that by employee. I'll take on 50000 per employee, or they can say I'm going to take a million dollars off the table myself, and the rest is you, Berkshire Hathaway. And they charge a premium, and it's a couple hundred bucks an employee. And the insurance co- and the employer, who's now basically, you know, Mark Leary Insurance, is now taking that risk on themselves for that million dollars. Well, but you're insourcing that. You got to <clears> own that. That doesn't not sound appealing to most 
five ten million dollar oh, company. Uh, they're all doing it now. It's it's going downstream. So the eighty percent of the thousand plus employees are doing what's called direct contracting with uh, with these types of contracts that are essentially self insurance. That's going smaller and smaller and smaller downstream. There's a there's a whole industry being created called captives. Captives is like, hey, join the frat. We're going to save you the cost by by we're all going to become basically a um, uh, in network and we're all, we're also going to create our own little network and we're going to fund each other and take the risk on ourselves because you may have a lot of older employees, but I may have a lot of smokers and this guy may have a lot of drywallers that hurt their back a lot. So we're just going to pool our risk together and we're going to all self-insure directly contract with the hospitals, with the imaging, with the labs, with the specialists, with the primary care, and we're going to get our costs way, way down. And the cost can drop 30 to 40% the first year with the low-hanging fruit. That's pharmacy, primary care, and imaging. Those, those are three real low-hanging fruit we can shave 30% off by joining a captive or self-insuring. And there's still, again, there's a 20%. I talked to a company this week. They have $250 million in EBITDA. They're they're a big company. They are not self-insured. That's like really. There's still some left out there, but 20% of all the big companies in America are not going to this obvious solution. So they're, what they're not seeing is that they have buried treasure, like Walmart found in their EBITDA. And uh, what are the smallest companies right now? You can, What's the smallest company you think makes you, sense? You can do five. You can literally. I'll I'll give you the name of somebody that five on the show notes. Five five million. No, five people. You don't have to have a lot of people to self-insure. You can join a captain. How much? How much capital does that cost? I mean, right now everybody's probably cash is king. Like I'd outsource. Well, let's let's say thirty percent of less is less, right? I mean, forty percent of less is less. So, whatever it was costing you before, that you can make the insurance go away and have nothing, but you can also join a captive and you can save a lot. So I can, again, in the show notes, give you the name of somebody who can set that up for you. Let's do that. Okay. Well, man, what else is on your mind? Did we cover yeah, well, it? Healthcare is Fixed is a book that I have an audio version now. It'll be coming out in the next 30 days. And essentially what the book is about is everything we've been talking about, Mark, is there's a lot of navigation and confusion and pain out there. And Healthcare is Fixed gives a simple solution that I've been using for the last two years. I have now... My retention is I had literally no turnover for the first time in my career because I had free premium, no premium, no copay, no deductible health care for my employees. I had no, um, hardly any absenteeism. It got cut in half because they don't have to go get their kids pink eye handled at some Medicaid clinic. I had to hire four people in January and normally it takes me 60 to 80 interviews. And I found four people in five interviews. We canceled all the interviews after five. I've never found five, eight, four, eight players in five interviews. And it was because we have free health care. That was our opening in our in our hiring paragraph, free health care. Well, that attracted eight players, I learned. <clears throat> so what I've learned in this, I've put in this book, Redirect uh, Health is the company I use. And I'm telling the story of what it's like to be a patient, what it's like to be a customer of the first employer in Texas, and what it's like to be a doctor in that world, because so, I've interviewed their people. So I think it's the health care of the future. Um, I'm paying $105 a month for my employees to participate. That's a lot less than the five or 600 that I was getting quoted by the Bucas. Um, and I'm getting much better care now. Even 500 is not bad. I mean, depending on what you're not buying. Bad. So that's, that's, I mean, I've, you know, eight, seven, eight, nine hundred <laughs> bucks. And then by the time you get family involved, you know, 10, 12, uh, 13, $1,500 a month I've seen for really premium. Yeah, for the family, but for individuals, it might be less. But I interviewed a drywall contractor who was their first guy in Arizona that took a big risk. He has a, he has one of the top 10 drywallers in the country. 
So what he does is he builds for the big home, home builders everybody recognizes. The name I'm in Nevada and Arizona. His workers' comp premium got dropped in less than half because they can now go to a chiropractor for free. That's part of the plan with redirect. They can now go get their doctor to visit them for free. So they don't, they're not on workers' comp. They were at 3 million hours with no interrupted um, injuries for the first time in their 50-year careers, 50 to 3-year careers as a company. They're three generations. So PJD Drywall, Paul, Paul Johnson Drywall, has not only reduced millions in their workers' comp claims, but their health insurance premiums dropped by millions as well. I said, would you ever go back to Buka land? And he says, I can't even dream of that. It's, life is so good right now. With, what did he do with the savings of those millions of dollars? Did he go buy a Montana ranch? No. He now gives commun- community college assistance. If they want to go to college school, he'll pay for their schooling. If they want their kids to go to college, he'll pay for that. If they want to um, take a day off, he'll pay for that. Drywallers don't get those kind of benefits, and it happens on day one, and the president of the company has the same exact benefits as the brand-new drywaller to just start it. So now they can attract the best craftsmen. They have, they have the best benefit plan by far in the uh, industry. Nobody can touch them. And what did he do? He used his health spend to not only reduce his worker injury rate, but he would use it to reduce the absenteeism sick and the, the premiums that they were putting in. So he, they all got a raise because they don't have to put that 400 But What is a raise to somebody that makes 35000 if it's 400 a month? That's a significant raise because it's all bottom line, right? That's like a $7,500 raise if you're making 5000 more. So that's what he gave them. So he, And he's not, there's a company called Rosen Hotels. And I'll, my next book is going to be about Rosen Hotels. Have you ever heard okay. about these guys? No. Rosen Care was born in 1991 when... Harris Rosen, he now has 6,000 employees in 6,000 rooms, and his hotels are all around the Orlando Convention Center. The neighborhood behind him, Tangelo Park, is one of the worst neighborhoods. Like It would be like Sharpstown here in Houston. It's one of the worst neighborhoods. And just gangs, crime-ridden. And he decided to take the savings he found by direct contracting with primary care into the neighborhood. He, will, he agreed to pay for every one of the high school graduates' kids' college full-boat scholarship, like Full boat. Wow. And the, guess what the graduation rate went to in that high school that was at 35%? 100%. They have hope. I mean, college paid for private or public school paid for? What? And they had early reading programs. And then they, they told all their employees, if you go get primary care, we're going to be on our clock. It's, we're going to pay for that as if you're working. And your premium is $100 a month instead of this ridiculous amount. And your copay is $5 instead of some ridiculous $75. And what they created is $430 million to their bottom line since 91. And they poured the vast majority of that into not only this neighborhood, now they're taking care of the school employees, the teachers, and the administrators. And now they adopted a new school district that's much bigger than Tangelo Park next to that. Their, their retention rate, so hotel, my family started in the hotel industry. That's what put me through college. Their reten, our retention rate in the hotel industry is about 75% turnover. Their retention rate in Orlando, Florida, just guess. 75% retention? They have, if they should have 75% turnover, meaning, you know, every nine mm-hmm. months people are leaving, they have 14% turnover. It's a fraction. Wow. Who wants to leave free health care? Yeah. That's basically what they have is free health care. And now the line waiting to get in all those jobs that used to turn over heavily, like maids and bartenders, there's a long line of people who want to work that are from the neighborhood that want to work at that place because they love Mr. Rosen. He paid for their college. So wow. you can take the dividend that comes from this 
we'll call it a peace dividend that comes from reinventing your health care and making it now Mark, Le- Mark Leary care instead of Buka care. And you can pour it into the neighborhood and change the world, or you can take it and help your company survive in these scary times. So uh, uh, this company was making $250 million EBITDA. We calculated we'll be able to save them about $25 million year one. That's not a big part of $250 million EBITDA, but that's a, more than a month. You know, that's more than a month. They don't have to go sell that many more of their equipment. So, yeah, we, we're, we're opening up discussions with people, not just with savings, but we're now going to get sensors in your home, and we're going to know where the whales swim. That's incredible, man. Look, we've covered a lot, and there's a ton in here. This is the kind of dense uh, material I'll have to listen to twice to get everything out of it. To wrap us up, what is your passionate plea to entrepreneurs right now? You've got a lot of blessings to be counting. You've got a lot to be thankful for. 99% 99% of the world would train positions with you right now. As scary as your outlook looks, as fearful as you are right now, 99% of the world would trade spots with you right now. Be thankful. That's so awesome. Well, Ron, thank you so much. It's been a great uh, exploration and talk about healthcare. I mean, so, and this is going to be such a good thing for people who really want to geek out on this and as well as want to make, um, get some control over the ridiculous spend and the and the problem that, that healthcare is in, in, in trying to run a business. So thanks so much, man. 